We're in the seventh, eighth, maybe week of our series where we're defining love. And we said every week that love needs to be defined because in the Bible we're said we're supposed to love God, love our neighbors, we're supposed to love our enemies, and I'm supposed to love my wife. And that seems to be three different kind of loves, but it all ends up being the same word. We have a lot of different ways that we understand love in our society. And the Bible has lots of different words. They have one word for love that means a friendship type of love. It has another word for love that means a love that a parent has for a daughter or son. It has another type, another word that means a sexual love between a husband and a wife. But the love that is used in 1 Corinthians 13, where it defines, love is defined and that we've been preaching out of now for the last seven or eight weeks is the word agape. It has nothing to do with feelings. It has nothing to do with warm fuzzies. It has nothing to do with goosebumps. It is an intentional act of your will. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, that agape is patient. Doesn't say that eros is patient, that's a sexual love. Doesn't say that phileo is patient, that is a friendship type of love. Even though I think that would apply there, it simply says agape is patient. Uh, the same type of love that I'm supposed to give to my wife, agape, I'm supposed to be able to give to my enemies, agape, I'm supposed to give to my neighbors, agape. And agape is patient, and agape is kind. Agape does not envy, agape does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Agape is not easily angered. Where we were last week, agape keeps no record of wrongs. Verse 6 of, of 1 Corinthians 13. And where we'll be today, agape does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Agape always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And love never fails. Our feelings will fail us. We'll be up one minute, down the next. It could have a lot of things. I could be hungry, and that changes my feelings. I could be irritable. That changes my feelings. It's got nothing to do with feelings. It's an intentional act of the will. It's a selfless giving. We read this at, fu at funerals. We read this at weddings. <laughs> Was that a Freudian slip, maybe? I don't know. We read it at weddings, but it has, it's not written in the context of husband and wives, even though it's applicable there. It's just written in the context of the way we should treat one another, even though it's applicable for husbands and wives. Again, where we'll be today is 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 6. that says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This is in the context of the book of 1 Corinthians. The 1 Corinthians, in a lot of ways, it parallels 2021. Paul's letter to the 1 Corinthians was written with several motives, but one of them was to take care of the evil, the sin, the disobedience, the far less than Christ-like behavior that was going on in the church. The Corinthians were financially affluent people, if you want to read anything about Corinth. In history, they were financially affluent. Parallels today, we're, we're financially affluent. Um, you may not feel it, but in comparison to the world, you're financially affluent. Where's Christopher? Is he in, is he in here? Let me pick on him a little. Is Christopher in here? Anybody that spends $230 for a pair of Air Jordans is financially affluent. I didn't buy them.
Corinthian church was financially affluent. It was religiously, the Corinthian, the town of Corinth, the city of Corinth, was religiously diverse, parallels today. It was politically divided. Have we ever had a day we're more politically divided than we are in 2021? And the reason, the, one of the main reasons the letter was written is because the Corinthian church was morally deficient. And there's just a lot of stuff going on in the church. Paul wrote the letter and says, um, uh, there's divisions among you, and those divisions were basically uh, had to do with teachers. And some people were gathering around this teacher, and some people were gathering around this teacher. It'd be like you all, well, I'm, some of you only come when Nathan preaches, and some of you only come when Mark preaches, and some of you only come when Mike preaches. And that was basically the situation that they had. And there's the divisions among you, and then they should not be. Some of you say that you're from Apollos, and some of you say that you're of Paul. No, you're of Christ. Didn't Christ die for all of you? So there was horrible divisions in the church. And he wrote that, and maybe that was some of what he was saying, and do not delight in evil. He, he was really freaked out because Christians were suing and taking other Christians to court, which he says is absolutely foreign to a Christian life. Christians don't take Christians to court. And he says, you do that before an unbelieving judge? What kind of a witness are you making for Christianity when two Christians can't get along and you go to an unbelieving judge to have him make the decision? He says, what you should do is go find somebody that you both respect and let him make the decision. So that's the way Christians deal with it. But they were evidently, there was so much dissension and trouble in the church, there was, they were suing one another. There was horrible sexual issues in the church. There was incest in the, the church. Paul plainly talks about that in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 7. He says, flee sexual immorality. There was all kinds of sexual immorality going on in the church. And there was a hierarchy according to spiritual gifts in the church. And some people were thought of better because their gifts were this. And some people were thought of as not meaning too much because they didn't have those gifts. And Paul says that's one of the reasons he wrote 1 Corinthians 13, as a matter of fact. He says, because love is greater than all of those gifts. And so there's a, they, were, they were just judging one another because who had the greatest gifts. The church was really, really messed up. And Paul, Paul says, um, don't delight in evil. Love does not delight in evil, but love rejoices. Love rejoices with the truth. Um, you don't have love without truth. You can have truth without love. You can have truth without love. We've all heard that. You've probably heard preachers from time to time, if not in person, maybe on TV, give truth, but they didn't give it in a loving way. You can have truth without love, but you cannot have love without truth. You, 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 you cannot have love without truth. How can I love my wife without truth? How can I love my kids without truth? Every now and then, Sue will come to me and she'll go, she'll come up very gently and she'll go, can we talk? <laughs> will it take too long? <laughs> You can have truth without love. 
But you cannot have love without truth. If you think about it, what's more important in life than truth? Have you ever thought about that? What's more important in life than truth? Paul says, you don't delight in evil, but you rejoice with the truth. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, he says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Which I think, am I not, don't let me read into Paul too much, but he's saying love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. So if I don't hate what is evil, is my love really sincere? If I don't hate what is opposite of the truth, is my love really sincere? Paul says, love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Um, Love is not the motive when we keep our mouth shut and won't speak truth. Well, I just love him too much to tell him that. I just love her too much to tell him that. That's not the motive, is it? The motive is you don't want to deal with the conflict, right? God brought a situation to my life. God brought something to my mind in the first service of a very difficult conversation that I've been avoiding because the truth will be uncomfortable. And if I continue to avoid that, I don't love that person. I don't love that person. I may like the person. I may enjoy the person's company. But I don't love that person. I don't want the best for that person if I am fearful of the conflict that truth will bring. So the Apostle Paul says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. As I was reading this, I thought of Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And the psalmist writes for us, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take or stand in the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the truth which would have been the Old Testament way of saying truth, the law of the Lord. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, but his delight is in the truth, and who meditates on that day and night. Um, Friends, um, blessed is the one who does not uh, sit in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers, do you know the rejoicing with the truth often means that I can't go with the crowd? Blessed is the one who does not uh, sit in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or take a seat in the company of mockers, but his delight is in the truth. And on the truth he meditates day and night. Rejoicing with the truth often means that I don't walk with the crowd anymore. That's really a hard part of Christianity. That's a really hard part of Christianity. 
Levi's got a little, can I tell this? Levi's got a little freshman girl that's kind of got the hots for him. She's not old enough to know better yet. So I said, hey, what's going on with Aurora? What's her name's Aurora? Hope Aurora's not listening. I said, hey, what's going on with Aurora? He goes, I don't think anything's going to go on with Aurora. We were, he, he and I were eating at Subway the other night. He said, I don't think anything's going to go on with Aurora. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, Dad, she's not a Christian. Strike one for Levi. Or strike one for Mark and Sue, who have taught him that. <laughs> Rejoicing with the truth means that you can't always walk with the crowd. It doesn't mean you're mean to the crowd. doesn't mean you turn your back on the crowd. doesn't mean you're pharisaical. It doesn't mean you're better than the crowd. doesn't mean any of that. It, it means you don't allow the crowd to influence you. We're, to, we're supposed to be salt and light and influence them and not allow them to influence us. That's a, that's a, that's a tough line to walk there. But the truth of the matter is the crowd will think Christians are weird. Are you okay with being weird? Are you okay with people thinking that you're weird? Because the crowd will always think that you're weird. The crowd will not understand you. And why will they not, not understand you? Listen, the Bible says they can't understand you because they don't have the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The Bible says that the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So why do some people not understand things? They can't. Why do they think you're weird? It's because they just, they don't get it. They are not enlightened by the Spirit of God. Just like some of you all, before you were Christians, you thought Christians were weird, didn't you? You had no clue why they did what they did or didn't do what they didn't do. Friends, have you learned yet that Christians go against the tide? They, 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 they rub against the grain, and the crowd doesn't like that. Now, we don't do it intentionally to be upset or to try to make a, a deal with people or try to be ugly or anything like that, but just in the living of our lives. Levi, I need you to be quiet, please. Just in the living of our lives, we go against the grain. Just in the living of our lives, we don't go with the flow. And that's hard. I mean, that's really, really hard. And I don't like going against the crowd. I want, I, I want to be liked. But it's hard to do that and be a person of truth. Because as a person of truth, there are things that I believe that they don't understand, they have no clue of. 
There are things that I will do that they have no understanding of. There are things that I won't do that they don't have any understanding of. There are ways that I operate my life that seem totally foreign to them. You hear the crowd, don't you? Don't you hear the crowd? If you're not happy in your marriage, you just get a divorce. After all, we've grown apart. We've grown. uh, I've heard that in my my office. We've grown apart. Now, what does that mean? We've grown apart. And the world tells you that that happens and the love has faded, and so you just need to start over. That's what the world tells you. That's what the crowd will say to you. The crowd says you have an unwanted pregnancy, then you get an abortion. That's what the way of the world, that's what the crowd, that's what the accepted wisdom of the day says. The, the intellectual people of the today, but us fundamentalists and us people that just, you know, we, we, we believe some book that's outdated and, and, and you know, we live in the, some cave and we're in the dark ages and, and we ought to just be in the 2020s and all of that kind of stuff. Paul says love does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. Man, I'm so glad there's truth in this. Where would we be if there wasn't truth? I'm, and, and, and where would we be? How could we, where would we be without truth? How do we know how to live their lives? Your opinion is as good as my opinion. Her opinion is as good as his opinion. Where would we be without a standard of truth? Where in the, what kind of shape would we be in without some kind of standard of truth? Rejoicing with the truth means I often won't be able to walk with the crowd be influenced by the crowd. When I got saved, I couldn't go in the break room in the teacher's lounge anymore. I just couldn't. It was just, I just, I, it, was, it was too tempting. It was, it, it was just, I knew that I would fall sooner or later. I knew that I would succumb to that wisdom of the break room and the wisdom of the crowd. And so I went before school started and I went after school started, but I couldn't hang in there and hear all the teachers complain and moan and groan because I knew that it would have an effect on me because I had a basketball coach that says if you, you, you sleep with a crowd and you hang out with the crowd and you live with the crowd, then you're going to end up talking and smelling and looking like the crowd. And I don't see where there's any way that as Christians that is the life that we're called to live I'm just taking it at its word and when you take God at its word man it's hard but love rejoices with the truth I'm not talking about being ugly I'm not talking about being pharisaical I'm not talking about being holier than thou it has nothing to do with it it has nothing to do with it Now, now, people won't like it and, and will c- accuse you of doing that even though you're not because they'll, they'll just, because you don't join in, they'll think that you think you're better than them and that's not the case and you can't, you've got to be strong enough not to bow at their opinion there. But A father writes to his son in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, it says, My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, Jesus said, the gate is, is small, the gate is narrow. There's going to be a few people that find it. But the way that the world is on, Jesus said, it's a broad way. 
Everybody's on it. Everybody's on it. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard when you're in family gatherings, isn't it? It's hard. It's hard. And you've got to pick time and place. You, you're not stupid. You, when, you, when you give truth, you just don't throw it out anywhere. Because Jesus himself said, you, you don't give your pearls to the swine. Now, the, the most stupid thing in the world is, is just to go out, proclaim truth, vomit truth out of your mouth anytime you want to. That's, that's, you're, you're, doing, you're doing a cause of Christ no good whatsoever when you do that. But at the proper time, in the proper way, for me to go out and, and, and speak truth in the break room when I was a new Christian, speak br- truth in the break room wouldn't have all been received well, but maybe a one-on-one conversation in that teacher's room or in my room would have been time and place, would have been gracious, would be speaking the truth in love, as Paul says. You know, Paul wrote in 12.2 of Romans, he says, don't conform any longer to the crowd. It's just hard to be a person of truth and to go along with the flow and to go with the crowd and go with the wisdom of the world. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the truth. That's what renewing of your mind means. Can I tell you something about Christianity? When you come get saved, you get saved in the pastor's office, you get saved at the altar, you get saved at your home. Do you know God doesn't just knock you over the head with a holy baseball bat and transform your mind? He just doesn't. Your mind is transformed day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, as you renew it with truth. That's the only way your mind is changed as you take out the stinking thinking of the crowd and put in godly thinking. So be transformed, Paul says. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why people that don't ever love him with their mind will be limited in their Christian experience. That's why people who are all emotion and just come into the assembly and, you know, and just have a big time in the assembly and don't love him with their mind will be limited in their Christian experience. Because it's the mind is my problem. My mind is my problem. The way I think is my problem. James, James just don't mix words in chapter 4. Because James in chapter 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that being a friend with the crowd is being an enemy with God? Now, does that take a theologian to explain that to you? Well, well, it probably doesn't mean that, you know. Well, let's see what else he says. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Tell me what you really mean here, James. Don't mince words. I'm just trying to tell you that being rejoicing in the truth means you won't always be able to go with the crowd. You won't always be able to go with the crowd. When I was on my sabbatical, I was in West Virginia somewhere, and I was writing that first devotional that I did, and 
And it's when the United Methodist Church were meeting in St. Louis or somewhere, and they were trying to debate the problems that they had with um, basically homosexual. Now, listen, it's really not that. They'll tell you it's that. The problem they have is they're trying to decide, are they going to be Bible believers or not? That's the problem the Methodist Church is having. It, it, it gets clouded under the homosexual issue. And so they were debating back and forth and da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and all the bishops, which are the head honchos of the Methodist church, were on there. And they were trying to say how we got to stay united and all this. And some little layperson that was a delegate from some church got up and didn't have a Ph.D. and didn't have a Master of Divinity degree and all of that. But that person got up and said the most profound thing. He says, it's better to be divided by the truth than united in error. It's better to be divided by the truth than united in error. And can I tell you something, Nazarene Church? We're probably 30 or 40 years behind the Methodist. And we'll drift. We'll drift because that's the way human beings do. They drift. And why will I know they drift? Because the Bible says we're all going to drift. There'll be, a, there'll be a falling away. There'll be a falling away. And we have to stand for the truth. And then there'll be a day, I don't think it'll be in my lifetime, that the Church of the Nazarene will have to, will have to deal with issues like the United Methodist Church is dealing with right now. Like the Presbyterian Church has already dealt with. Like the Lutheran Church has already dealt with. By the way, kind of take a little, little side road here. When I said Lutheran, it reminded me. Today's October 31st. It's not just Halloween. It's Reformation Sunday. It's the Sunday when a little German monk, but it's the day when a little German monk, about five foot nothing, nailed 95 complaints to the door of the Catholic Church in Wittenberg and started the Protestant Church. And the Protestant Church was the church that protested against, theoret against the theological issues and abuses in the Catholic Church. It was a protest over truth. As this little monk named Martin Luther understood it. The whole Protestant Reformation, the, 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 the whole reason we have a Protestant church today was over truth. And Martin Luther says it's better to be divided by the truth than united in error. He didn't say that, but that's what he was saying by what he did. Well, can't we just all love one another? Can't we just, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You know, that's really good, and I'm glad I am too, but... Truth matters, friends. It matters. It matters on your math test. Two plus two does not equal 4.5. It matters. If two plus two does not equal four, this world cannot function any longer. Literally. That's truth that this world can't do without. If all of a sudden 2 plus 2 equals 5, we couldn't ever build a building anymore. We couldn't deposit a check in the bank anymore. What is more important than truth? 
especially truth that's revealed to us. Love does not delight in evil, but just rejoices in the truth. I'm so glad I have some place to stand. I'm so glad I have a place to stand. I don't have to, to listen to this preacher and this preacher to know where to stand. I'm so glad God has told me how to place to stand. I don't have to go to church seminars to be able to show me where to stand. I know where to stand because it's truth. Because it's truth. And I'm excited that there's truth. I would have nothing to preach to you. I have nothing at all to say to help your life unless I preach this. I have nothing at all to say to you of any value whatsoever unless it's rooted in truth. Because it, it just wouldn't be any better than his truth, her truth, his truth, that truth, their truth, that church's truth, this church's truth. No, I, I don't, I can't choose and I can't pick it. That's why I like preaching the way I've been preaching. I've just been going verse for verse. verse this, this verse, next verse, I'm not skipping any parts because you know what? Let's just skip that part because that'll make some people uncomfortable. Well, that makes me sovereign over the text. That makes me picking and choosing what text I should preach. My motive is not love when I avoid the truth. My motive is not love when I avoid the truth. And you know that to be true because we've all avoided the truth. You know what the motive was? We didn't want to make them mad. I don't want to make anybody mad either. That's why you, you bend over backwards to speak it in love and you pick the right time and you pick the right place and you don't cast your pearls before the swine. And... But you cannot love without truth. That doesn't mean... My boys will always know the truth, but that doesn't mean they'll always choose to walk in it. I can't make my boys are... are Christopher's 19 and Levi's 16. They're, they're growing up. I can't make them do things anymore, but they'll always hear the truth from their dad. They'll always hear the truth from their dad. They'll make their own choices on what they're going to do, just like I made my own choices and you made your own choices. But as parents, we have the responsibility that they hear truth from us. Because love rejoices with the truth and I cannot love without truth well let me close rejoicing with the truth pays great great dividends rejoicing with the truth pays great dividends because we said Psalm 1 verse 1 and 2 Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Verse 3, that person, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It's great dividends for people of truth. Verse 4 says, not so the wicked. Now, who are the wicked again? People that lean on their own understanding, people that live in a secular way, people that live as if God does not exist. 
Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff. The chaff is, some of you farmers know what chaff is. It's just like, it's what blows off the top of wheat. It just, it's nothing. It just, the wind just blows it and takes it anywhere you want to go. Not so the chaff that the wind just blows away. The person of truth will stand. The person of truth is rooted. The person is, 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 is planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in season. There's dividends to being people of truth. There's dividends to being people of truth. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. You will stand your ground. It's great dividends for people of truth. Doesn't mean people of truth are not going to go through issues. It doesn't mean the people of, of, of truth are not going to have to go through tough times. That doesn't mean people of truth are not going to deal with the same stuff all the rest of us deals. But we will stand our ground. We will not be like the chaff that the wind blows away. I'm obviously trying to decide whether to say the next thing or not. <laughs> there was a time in my ministerial career where I was falsely accused. I was falsely accused. I knew I had done nothing wrong. I stood my ground. I'd done nothing wrong. The, the, the evening that I was falsely accused, I went to King's Island with my boys that night. I, I knew things would be okay. Now, I, that didn't mean that the board might not believe them or that it might get all be blown out of proportion and I may lose my job. But you know what? If I lost my job, God has my back because I'm a person of truth. If I lose my ministry, God has my back. I'll go sell life insurance. God has my back. There's great dividends for being people of truth. Jeremiah speaks words that are similar to, to, uh, to Psalm 1. Jeremiah says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Verse 8 says, They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Isn't that good? It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. There's dividends for people of truth. There are dividends for people of truth. It ha- the, next, the next verse says, it has no worries in the year of drought. <laughs> it has no worries in the year of drought. And this tree never fails to bear fruit. Why? Because I'm a person of truth. God's got my back. Jesus, I've read this verse to you hundreds of times. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The, the rain came. The bad times come to Christians too. The rains will come and the streams are going to rise and the winds are going to blow. And they're going to beat against that house. But it will not fall. 
because its foundation is in the truth. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. You're going to go through the same issues. You're going to have the same stuff. The same wind's going to beat against your house as it beats against somebody else. And look, your house doesn't fall. Their house just totally collapsed. What's the difference? You're a person of truth. You're a person of truth. You don't live by the seat of your pants. You don't lean on your own understanding. You're a person of truth. <laughs> There's great dividends for people who rejoice in the truth. There's difficulties. You can't go with the flow. You've got to go against the tide. You won't be cool. You won't be cool. The cool people won't like you. But who do you want to give you your reward? I've done a lot of talk about truth today, but I've got to end. To be a biblical preacher... I cannot only talk about truth, I've got to talk about grace too because Jesus came full of grace and truth. It's not all about truth, it's about grace as well. And Paul says in Galatians 2, 21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be obtained through the law, through the truth, by doing good things, then why in the world did Jesus have to die? Then Christ died in vain. I cannot preach all truth without preaching grace. I cannot preach all grace without preaching truth. There are two sides of the same coin. Jesus came full of grace and truth. So I, I've given you 30 plus minutes of truth, but we got to close with grace, and that's one of the reasons I'm so glad Brandon Hancock talked me in to closing every Sunday with communion because it's a symbol well, it's a symbol of both truth and grace, isn't it? Why did he have, why, why did he have to die? Because I'm a sinner. But it's full of grace. He did die. So don't hear 30 plus minutes of, of truth and think, well, I just got to go out and live by the truth. If I live by the truth enough, then God will be pleased with me and I'll go to heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. The truth is that all of a sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus has made a way. So to be a biblical preacher, I just can't close with truth, 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 truth bullets, truth, 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 truth. I've got to say there's grace, friends, because you know as, as well as I do that we haven't lived by truth, have we? And there's grace for all of us who have not. So that's why every Sunday we invite you to the altar. Our servers are coming right now. You've got an opportunity to receive it at the table. You've got an opportunity to receive it at the altar. You've got an opportunity to be able to receive it at your pew, whatever you choose to do. As you come here, it's a symbol of truth. It's a symbol of grace. I hit you with truth bullets for 30-plus minutes. But because we have not been people of truth in our lives... And the truth is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a table that represents the cross of Christ for us. Do you believe in what he's done for you?
Father, this is not one of them feel-good messages. And it's just truth. It's just truth. We don't hear this out in the world. We don't read it in Newsweek magazine. We don't read it in the Wall Street Journal. We don't read it in USA Today. We don't hear it on the news at night. We don't see it on CNN. We don't see it on Fox. One of the main reasons we come into the house of God is to hear what we don't get out in the world, and that's truth. Help us be discerners so we know the truth when we hear it. You've given us the Spirit of God. All of those that have committed our life to Christ and living under his lordship, you have given us the Spirit of God so we will understand truth and we will know it when we hear it. It might cut like a double-edged sword, but we still know it. Help us who are truth dispensers to, when we give it, to, to, to cut gently and speak the truth in love because that's the only way that we heard it when we believed unto salvation ourselves. Be with us now in these next few minutes as we continue our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Our tables, our altars are open.